0: You're about to listen to a true story told live because this is True Stories Live. Brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. So when I think about my ex-husband... He seems he seems a very, very long way away now, like a character out of a book or a film, not someone I ever knew, really. But there's too much evidence that he did exist. I didn't imagine him. I couldn't have made him up. So he, in his West Midlands hometown, which was a place where men were men, and mostly they did a lot of, heavy drinking. Uh, he was known as Damage after a character in The Young Ones played by Alexi Sale. So it was a very appropriate name because my ex-husband kind of careened through life leaving a trail of chaos for other people to clear up while he was largely unbothered by little considerations like a a conscience or <laughs> doubt or remorse and was usually thinking about having another pint or another laugh with the lads that he was very good at having fun so the damage in the young ones was a dangerous escaped criminal now my ex was basically he was a very amoral person and a brilliant liar, but he lacked the focus and discipline to be a successful criminal, <laughs> although he did pill for so much stuff from the building sites that he worked on that I used to refer to our driveway as Steptoe's yard. Um, he was only arrested once, this was before I met him, and that was for dancing on the roof of the dugout at Villa Park in his football casual days. But uh, several of his friends seemed to be drug dealers. Uh, One was muscle for some actual criminals and was rumoured to be a hitman. My ex was self employed and he did actually was organised enough to employ an accountant to do his tax returns. So the, tax, the accountant uh, would guarantee a ta- uh, tax rebate for £200 to be paid in cash. And he had learned how to complete tax returns in prison. <laughs> um, so uh, rules were fairly optional for my ex-husband. Um, When his car failed its M.O.T., he bought a certificate from a dodgy garage. Uh, Through his work, he acquired a universal key that fitted all the padlocks on all the electricity substations in the area. And we had a substation next to our house, so he used that one to store the overspill from Steptoe's yard. Um, We had an allotment where you could only have a greenhouse or a shed, Um, not both. So we had a greenhouse, but he decided to build a shed anyway. And of course, he was ordered to remove it, which he did eventually by burning it down. (laughs) Um, He had some quite serious uh, inner ear surgery, and his surgeon told him to take two weeks off work. So he went back after two days and was absolutely fine, of course. Um, he, sort of, uh, he was kind of ridiculous, but he wasn't stupid. Um, there was one occasion when he was driving down a motorway in a flatbed truck from work, and he threw a cigarette out the window, and of course, because of it was him, it blew on back onto the back of the truck and started smouldering. <laughs> So uh, he saw the smoke in the rear-view mirror and pulled over onto the hard shoulder, but he didn't have any water with him. So he did what anybody would do, which was to pee in a bucket and use that. Um, but he was a person with... Uh, oh, what's the word? Oh, I can't remember the word. What is um, he was full of contrasts and con- sort of conflicting things because even though he had a he, he t- did himself an Aston Villa tattoo and he used to go to raves and take ecstasy he also really liked the rom-coms and he was really really liked the film amelie and and, and when we went to see mamma mia i could see his face now He turned to me at the end and said that was great <laughs> now old ladies really loved him because he had this kind of rough diamond roguish charm and he used to flirt with them outrageously. And he was also really good with animals. So There was one occasion when he was driving home um, and uh, he came across a dazed swan wandering in a quiet street near our house. So he stopped the car, got out, scooped it up And then somebody was passing, so he got them to open the the hatchback so we could pop it in and drive it somewhere safe. So we had absolutely nothing in common. Um, Nothing, you know, academic achievement, jobs, political views, even the kind of food we ate, nothing. One of my friends said to another friend when they'd met us at the start of the relationship, she said, What do they talk about? But, in fact, we never stopped talking, really, for the first few years. And um, I sort of taught him how to cook and showed him what Norfolk was like. And he introduced me, which was a bit weird, really, because it should have been the other way around. He introduced me to vintage fairs and canal sidewalks. And we bought a house and it made it into a home with some cats. And we even joined the National Trust. <laughs> But about nine years or so in, things were going a bit, you know, I was a bit tired of being the adult all the time, and uh, his charm was starting to wear thin, and you could see a lot of the chaos underneath. And then he disappeared for six months, and never really had a proper explanation. He came back, um, but then at the end of that year, which was 2009, I received... um, well, it was the last day of the year, actually, was, yeah, I received an anonymous phone call from a woman who said he'd just finished an 18-month fair with her. So that made lunch, New Year's Eve lunch, with his awful parents fun. Um, so we struggled on, and he was sort of increasingly absent. He used to say he was going down to the allotments, but he was gone so often, I used to call him the Scarlet Pimpernel. Um so, when he was at home after dinner, he'd just disappear to the garden and smoke and drink and look at his phone. And obviously, all the clues were there, but, you know, I couldn't be bothered to pursue it, really. It was all very wary. Anyway, so one September Saturday morning, 2013, um, he'd gone out early to do a sort of cash-in-hand job. And I was pottering around at home, and then uh, I went shopping. When I came back, I was only gone an hour, came back, house was still empty, but you know, that wasn't anything unusual. I never really knew when he'd be back and I was thinking about my lunch. So I started putting the shopping away and there was something to go in the cupboard under the sink, so I opened the cupboard. And that was when I noticed that there was a roll of ba- black bin bags that I knew had been there had disappeared. And I, you know, it, it wasn't something he would do to change the bin. So, so I went upstairs and I opened the wardrobe and it was (laughs) bare, his wardrobe had been stripped and even though the coat hangers might not have been actually swinging on the rail, metaphorically they were because he must have been in and out really quickly. And I still don't know what he did, how he did it and whether he had someone to help him or whether it was just he came home and thought, right, I'm off. It was just like a spur-of-the-moment thing. So uh, I took off my wedding ring. And three years later, when I moved back to Norfolk, I sold it for scrap gold. And he'd left his behind, so I sold that as well at the same time and made £250, which I was quite pleased with. Yes, thank you, thank you. Yeah. So, so that was all ten years ago, which and ten years is almost as long as we were married. Although it, it's, it does feel as though it happens with someone I know rather than to me. It all feels very strange now. But anyway, I know he got married again to a woman who appears to in no way resemble me, and they've got some dogs. So he's probably really happy. And as for me, I don't know whether his divorce solicitor um, learnt his profession in prison, but either he wasn't very good or more probably he didn't get paid because I got a whacking great divorce settlement and uh, some music anecdotes to tell about marriage and desertion. So you could say that I have come through the experience more or less undamaged.